One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's a lot of people who are functional burnouts. They are functioning in their job. They're showing up every day. They're getting it done. And everybody looking on the surface would say, well, you're not burned out. Look how great you're doing. Look how much you're blessing everyone else. But you can get into this cycle where you are you excel at blessing other people, but then you are completely empty inside yourself because you have not allowed yourself to actually benefit from some of the goodness you're producing. I look at it like a honeybee. Honeybees are busy, they're buzzing around, they're producing all these sweet things for everybody else to enjoy, and they never enjoy it themselves. Nobody should be living that life. Welcome to the Unwind Podcast, a podcast for you to relax, drift off, and allow your mind to wander. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and researcher on a mission to share information that will help you live happier, healthier, and with more love, optimism, and wisdom. This podcast features interviews with well-known guests and world-leading experts about what it truly means to be human and what we can do to become the very best versions of ourselves. Welcome to The Unwind, and I'm with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, who, as I like to describe her, the goddess of rest, who has arrived into our lives at the most needed time to invite us all to take a much-needed break. Along with her being the goddess of rest, she is a board-certified internal medicine physician and a work-life integration researcher. As a busy physician, author, and mum, she understands that life's demands can leave you feeling mentally overwhelmed emotionally drained and physically tired. Who can relate to that? I certainly can. In her new best-selling book, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity, she guides you to understand what different rest might feel like and look like. So I'm very excited to speak with Dr. Sandra today to discuss all things rest and why this pause is so needed and yet so few of us feel that we can take it. I would love for you to share a piece of writing that's meaningful to you. Yes, I love the book Becoming by Michelle Obama. And there was specifically a quote in there that I felt was really relevant. It states, for me, becoming isn't about arriving somewhere or achieving a certain aim. I see it instead as forward motion, a means of evolving, a way of reaching continuously toward a better self. The journey doesn't end. And for myself, that's how I look at rest. I don't feel like I've necessarily arrived. I think it's an ongoing journey of learning how to find a harmony between work and play and those times of reflection and those times of of going deeper. I think that as long as we are moving forward and getting better and seeing improvement, that that's really what becoming looks like. What a lovely passage to share. And it reminds me of, are you familiar with the arrival fallacy? This idea that we're suddenly going to get that career promotion and all our life's troubles are going to be fixed. I feel like I was a total victim to arrival fallacy for years. Absolutely. I can totally relate to that. You know, for myself, it was when I get my medical degree, then everything's going to be perfect. And there's always more to learn. There's always more growth needed. And so we just have to stay in that place of of understanding that it's a journey. Where do you think we went wrong with this idea of arrival? Because I'm not sure if it's a modern day phenomena or if this is something that was happening, I don't know, 100 years ago, but it does feel quite a modern cultural expectation, this idea that we're ever going to make it. Yeah, I think that's why we have such an issue with rest, to be honest with you. I, my feeling is that a lot of us, we feel I'll rest when it's done. Mm. When I have arrived, then I have permission to rest 
rather than saying rest is something that we already have permission to get anytime we want, that we don't have to wait for some thing to happen to now I can take a breath. Now I can play. Now I can have fun. Yeah, I, I particularly hate it when when men or women, but I see oftentimes in women who say, well, once my kids are at a certain age, then I can. And mm. we should never get into this box where we're waiting for certain things to happen before we feel free. Do you feel that this has become worse when you look through historical records or you think about how our parents' grandparents lived. Do you think they struggled with rust as much as we do? I don't think so. I feel like they really had a better understanding of there's time to work and there's a time to stop. With the way our lives are now, we have brought home a lot of our work in ways that we don't have these dividing lines. You know, if we think back 80 years ago, when the sun went down, people didn't keep working. They... <laughs> They wound down. They kind of went mm. along with their normal circadian rhythm and the normal fluctuations of the world and how we have times when things are active and times when things are slowing down. Now, we don't do that. There are very minimalized lines between our work lives and our play lives and you know the time that we're just relaxing and having fun. And sometimes that fun side, that restful side just gets pushed aside and we just keep pushing and grinding. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And your book looks into this in great detail. So let's move to that. You called your book Sacred Rest. Why? Well, I feel like for myself, for a long time, rest wasn't sacred. For me, when something's sacred, it has value. It's cherished. You make room and space for it in your life. You put it on a pedestal almost. And you're, you're making sure that you are looking towards it as part of who you are. And for myself, I'm a workaholic. Just to be honest, naturally, my natural mindset is rest is for weak people. So that's how I live most of my life. It's like, I don't need rest. You know, I'm good with three, four hours of sleep. I'm killing it. I don't really need <laughs> this time away or whatever. And I did that for a long time. But it got to a point where, particularly when my kids were born, where I felt like I had 15 full-time jobs. I felt like I had all this stuff that had to get done. And I was grinding and grinding, and I really just ground myself into the ground. And I found myself flat on my back one day in my four-year looking at all the things that I had wanted. You know, I'd reached the level of success that I felt that I had always hoped for. And I felt so exhausted, I couldn't even enjoy it. What are some of the signs that one is massively depleted in rest to avoid getting to that point where you finally get the thing you want and you were like where you were, you were just drained? Well, that's where the different types of rest really came from because I had so many symptoms. And I feel like when patients come to me as an internal medicine physician and they say, I'm, you know, doc, I'm tired. I really have to help them differentiate what kind of tired are you? What is it that's drained? Because each type of rest deficit has its own symptoms and side effects. For example, a, a creative rest deficit. You may find that you have a hard time brainstorming. You have a hard time coming up with new ideas. A mental rest deficit. You may find that you are forgetful. You may find that it's hard for you to learn new information. You may find that your mind wanders and you can't Turn it off at night to go to sleep is just kind of full all the time. Or an emotional rest deficit where you feel compelled to be people pleasing because you don't really feel the liberty to be authentic. You feel like if they really knew you, they wouldn't like you. So you put on emotional makeup and you try to keep the smile on your face all the time, even when you're not feeling happy. And so the, each has its own thing that comes into play, depending on which rest deficit you're battling with. You know, I think it's fascinating that you as a physician wrote a book about rest for many reasons. Firstly, I think physicians are the busiest people on the planet. You're looking after everybody else. So I imagine there are so many colleagues that have forgotten what it is to look after themselves. And secondly, when you're prescribing to clients or, you know, your patients, you're actually saying, I think that you should rest. And you talk about that in the book a bit, like how they respond when you're like, I think you need to rest. They're a bit like, give me a different diagnosis. Give me a pill. Yeah, I agree. Physicians are not the best at resting, and which is probably why I burned out those years ago. The profession is set up in such a way that it's assumed that you are a very resilient. It assumes that you can function off of very little. 
However, you know, if you think about it, how many of us really want our surgeon to be someone who had three hours of sleep the night before? However, that's the reality of the profession. And physicians have learned how to kind of push through. But you also find that suicide rates in physicians are some of the highest of any profession. Mm. And I believe that's the reason why, you know, when I was laying on that floor, I didn't necessarily have a plan. I didn't necessarily feel depressed, but I didn't want to be here anymore. So, you know, when you're looking at it from that standpoint, There's a lot of people who are functional burnouts. They are functioning in their job. They're showing up every day. They're getting it done. And everybody looking on the surface would say, well, you're not burned out. Look how great you're doing. Look how much you're blessing everyone else. But you can get into the cycle where you you excel at blessing other people. You excel at pouring out into the world, but then you are completely empty inside yourself because you have not allowed yourself to actually benefit from some of the goodness you're producing. I look at it like a honeybee. Honeybees are busy. They're buzzing around. They're producing all these sweet things for everybody else to enjoy, and they never enjoy it themselves. Nobody should be living that life. What are your thoughts on the deficit of rest being the problem, but yet when we don't realize that it's the deficit of rest and we lose our memory, we can immediately jump to think that we have much more severe problems, like, I don't know, early onset Alzheimer's, for example, when actually it is someone's exhaustion speaking. Yeah, and that's the tricky part. You know, as a physician, when someone comes to me and say, says they're tired, my first go-to is never, you need more rest. It's, it's usually, let's do some tests. Let's find out. Mm. Do you have sleep apnea? Do you have underlying thyroid problems? You know, are you early diabetes? There's so many different things that can make people tired. So we mm. do have to do our due diligence, you know, to make sure that there aren't any other things. But there's a lot of people who've gone to physicians and had lots of studies done. Probably part of the reason the healthcare system is so exhausted at this point, because we're doing all these tests because we do have to do our due diligence. But then what happens when the tests are all negative? And this is where I saw so many people coming in. And they would say, I've been to all these doctors, and they are telling me nothing's wrong with me. And I know something's wrong with me. I am exhausted all the time. I am not happy. Nothing's working. And we're looking at all of these things sometimes without looking at some of the lifestyle changes that have to occur. And not just lifestyle changes like eat better, get more sleep, but lifestyle changes like, you know what, I need to find some people in my life who don't need me for anything. I just enjoy being around. So I can get some social rest. I can feel like I'm part of something bigger and I can break down some of the loneliness that's leading to depression, which is why the pills are helping, but they're not solving it because Mm -hmm. there's other parts to it that need to be fixed. I thought that was really interesting learning about all the different types of rest, because I think that is quite misunderstood. When you hear the word rest, I think we all just assume it's lying down on the couch watching television. And you obviously explore a way more nuanced approach to this. One point in particular that I would love to hear you explain a bit further is rest and sleep are very different, but rest improves healthy sleep. What do you mean by that? Yeah, sleep is a type of physical rest. So we're looking at the seven types of physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. We're looking at those seven. Sleep fits into the physical rest bucket in that you're allowing your body to get a reprieve. I call it passive physical rest. And so it is a type of rest. But physical rest, it does not get you more creative rest. It doesn't help these other areas. So if all of your attention is just in getting higher quality sleep, you're omitting these other six areas of rest that are needed. However, once you start improving some of these other areas, they can help you sleep better. For example, sensory rest. Sensory rest deals with the sensory inputs that you're experiencing. So if you're someone who uses a lot of devices and gadgets and you're on your things until the middle of the night, then you try to just go to bed, well, your senses are still revved up. So if you're doing something that helps to restore your sensory rest to kind of help your body relax in that form, or something that helps you improve your mental rest, turn your brain off so you're not thinking all night while you're trying to go to sleep you'll find that you will drift into deeper levels of non-REM sleep. And the deeper you get into non-REM sleep, particularly to the stage three levels, that's when you start really feeling restored. And so if you can improve how deeply you sleep, then you will sleep better and you'll feel like your physical sleep is actually more refreshing. Mm. 
And so that's how they kind of interplay with each other. I loved, I think it was the person that wrote the beginning bit of your book. And there was just such a great quote that I wanted to share, which was, hurry is outside of us and inside of us. I thought it was such a beautiful summary of, I think, where we are as a culture. We're all hurrying somewhere, whether it's internal or external. And in the book, then you address rest anxiety, this resistance we have to rest that we know feels good. We know it's great for us. And yet, so few of us can invest in it. Where do you think this anxiety comes from? And and how can we set better boundaries? I think rest anxiety for some of us comes from our own belief systems and, and what we believe about the value of rest. I think sometimes we lose respect for rest. We have more respect for the work because we we feel like that's worthy of time and effort. And so I think sometimes we have to evaluate why is it we resist rest? What are the things that are keeping us on the hamster wheel? Are we afraid that if we're not working, then we're not worthy? Are we at a point where we feel like our identity is wrapped up in the work? So, you know, I identify as a physician. So if I'm not actively doing all the physician things, if I'm just laying on the beach or something, that all of a sudden I've lost my identity. So I think we have to really look inside of ourselves. What drives us to want to work beyond the point of it being healthy? What compels us to continue to do that, although we know that we need times for rest? What scientifically is happening in the body when we rest? How can we sell rest in a scientific way to people? Yeah, so there's so many different parts to that. So it depends on kind of the part of the body that we're we're looking at. But at the very core of it, you know, one of the biggest things is that we're decreasing our cortisol levels. Most of our body is responding to hormones. And so our stress response is the biggest response that really the lack of rest will result in. And chronic stress-related disorders include things like high blood pressure, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, includes things like inflammation, which now we see are linked to all sorts of things, including cancer and dementia. So anything we can do to decrease that stress response within our body is in itself improving our overall health and well-being. And so for a lot of us, we just have to kind of take a look at how stressed do we feel throughout the day? You know, for some of us, we feel stressed from the moment we arrive at our office to the moment we go home. And so if you're getting this kind of unrelenting stress released, what are the restorative activities you're doing to combat that? Because for me, that's what rest really is. It's not about sleep. It's not about stopping. It's not about just those cessation activities. What are the restorative activities, the things you do to pour back into the places that you deplete throughout your workday? So what advice would you give to busy parents, people that do have ingrained belief systems that they are not worthy of rest or rest is lazy or they need to rest after this has happened? And I know I'm super guilty of this. I have so much guilt when I rest. If I'm not working every single morning at the crack of dawn, I wake up almost resentful of myself that I haven't opened my laptop yet and I know it's like childhood conditioning that you know you must work really hard and if you work really hard then you can pat yourself on the back but what is your advice to breaking down these core beliefs that so many people like myself hold with us? Yeah one of the things that I do often with patients who who tell me that or they'll say when someone asks me to do something I say yes because I don't really have a reply or a logical reason <laughs> that I feel like I can give to say no, I basically teach them a phrase. And that phrase is, in order to be the best version of myself, I must honor my need for rest. And so the more you say that, the more you start living that. Mm. Because we do have to honor our need for rest. And to be the best version of ourselves, we have to be at a place where we're not always pouring from our emptiness. Mm-hmm. And that we feel energized and full. And so when you know, someone comes to you and says, hey, do you want to volunteer at my, the kids, this, that, or the other? In order to be the best version of myself, I must honor my need for rest and say no to that today. And so we need to be able to be bold, courageous, voice what we're needing. And doing so, what happens with that statement is it's a boundary. You confront the current conversation that rest is not worthy. 
and you confront that other person's desire to pull you into things that you do not feel aligned to or you do not feel that you need to be a part of because it's going to take you out of a place of rest. And so I think we just have to get to a place where we are willing to voice what we need and to say it without feeling the guilt. How has your life changed since you have been embodying these practices? And have you noticed the lives of people around you change too? Yes, I I have to say that everything has changed (laughs) since this process of working through this particular research. And when I first started this, I had Honestly, I was not thinking about anybody else. I was trying to figure out how to survive in a career that I love, but that I knew was killing me. Mm-hmm. And so that was the goal. It, there was no goal for a book. There was no goal for a company that then evolved out of that or any of the other things that have happened in my life since then. The goal simply was, I love medicine. I love treating people. I can't keep functioning like this. What do I need to do? And so it was research just trying to figure out how to recover my own life, which is where the subtitle comes from. Recover your life, renew your energy, restore your sanity. That was what I was searching for. And so for myself, what's come out of that has been multifaceted. I look at my kids. My kids were toddlers. As I mentioned in the book, they were they were both, you know, in diapers, basically, when I was going through my, my time of burnout. My kids are now one's just start at college and the other one's a junior in high school. So we're talking years of this in the process. When I look at them now and their lives and, and how busy and things can get, I see that now they are mindful of their own need for rest. They have conversations I would have never thought about having at their age. And they are aware of when they're starting to feel drained or burned out. They are aware when they need to make these adjustments. And I feel like that's something that as parents that we want. We want to leave a legacy that doesn't leave our kids running down the same track that we ran Mm. and, and didn't give ourselves permission to rest. We want them to actually come up with a better understanding of self care and personal management so that they are able to do more and go further and still have a smile on their face at the end of the day, still be able to love their families and themselves well. In addition to that, um, you know, within the lives of my patients and other people, you know, it's always interesting to me to see how rest improves other areas. One of my favorite emails came from a a gentleman and he openly admits, he goes, "I, I didn't read your book. My wife read your book, but she read your book. And then all of a sudden I started noticing this change. You know, the woman I had married, we had grown apart because she was always so tired. So we weren't having sex. We weren't talking much to each other. We were basically roommates with kids. And, you know, I she read this book and I started seeing her do these things she'd never done before. We started actually talking more, which is what I talk about with emotional and social rest within your home. And he says, all of a sudden, I had my wife back. I fell in love all over again. And when I asked her what changed, she says, I started honoring my need for rest. That's the kind of change that I want to see in the world. I don't need to sell more books. What I need to see are people who are living lives that they love, because then they're not packing up the physician office for I'm tired, you know, when it's Mm. just they need more sleep or they need more rest. They're coming in because they have true issues that they're seeing and they're spending more time enjoying their life with the people they love living out their gifts and their passions from a place of fullness. That's the world I want to live in. And you are pioneering that world and creating so many tools to help people get there. One thing that you talk about in relation to rest is spiritual rest in different forms and also what it may look like to be spiritually exhausted. Would you mind sharing a bit more about that? Because I think that concept will be quite new to people. Spiritual rest is always a tricky one because then it comes into people's different belief systems. I'm very open about sharing about my belief system within the book. As I as I say within the book, to not do so would be inauthentic, which would be stressful for me. And I, yeah. I'm against stress at this point now. And so what I try to get people to understand is that spiritual rest is really that need we all have to feel like we belong, to feel like we're part of something bigger, that we're giving back to the greater good in the world. And so whether you're getting that through a faith-based system, or if, if you're associating that with different causes that you are believing in, or with different groups that you're associated with, 
We all need it. We all need that feeling that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, that we are interconnected. And when we don't feel that, there's this feeling of being lost, of being lonely, alone in the world. No one really would care if I just disappeared because you don't see yourself as something, as a part of something, as a part of, of, of belonging in some way. And so I think for a lot of people, you know, even those, I've had people read the book who are completely agnostic. They have no desire to have any type of relationship with with any type of spiritual or religious being. But we can agree on the fact that we all want to be part of something bigger. We need to have that connectivity. That is so really the connectivity of humanity, that, that we are all part of something bigger. You mentioned at the beginning of the answer, this need to be authentic. And to be authentic actually really helps us rest. Where do you think most of us go wrong in straying away from our authentic selves? For me, authenticity really is boils down to just being yourself, not overly caring what someone else thinks about what you have to say. We mm. all want to make sure that we're respectful of other people. So I'm not saying be crude or be disrespectful, you know, or, or hateful towards someone else. But I am saying to be who you are in a way that you're not always feeling like you have to hide parts of yourself. Mm. There should be some people in your life. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's a therapist or a counselor or someone that you've even paid to do that. But there should be some people in your life where you can just truly say what you feel and you don't have to keep it inside. And I feel like the, the lack of doing that has us feeling like we're always hiding and it combats our ability to be courageous. It combats our ability to really just put ourselves out there and to try new things. One of the things that I really have found, particularly in working with a lot of different group within my company, Restoruses, is that if I'm working with artists like musicians or painters or specific artists, part of their emotional rest is the liberty to produce without caring if anybody will like it. And I find that because if you've had a level of success as an artist of any type, whatever it is, if you have a level of success, you then want to reproduce what was successful because you know that your audience liked that. However, there's a suppression on your authenticity there because sometimes there's something new that's bubbling up that's completely off the off the mark, completely not what you've presented to them before. And so they have a lot of stress related to that, emotional stress, because of that need to perform, to perform at the level of what was expected before. Now, you can take that and apply that to any profession whatsoever in that physicians, stewardesses. If you're if you're a flight attendant and someone hops on the plane and they are, you know, rude and crude, you're still expected to keep a smile on your face. There's a, a level of emotional stress where you have to be inauthentic to mm. keep your job. And so all of us do this. We have different ways that we have to be inauthentic, not because we want to be necessarily. Sometimes our profession simply just kind of leads us in that direction. So when you understand that there's sometimes a performance stress that leads to this emotional inauthenticity, you have to combat that with finding times when you can just truly let it out. When you were sharing your um, answer, I was thinking to myself, gosh, how stressful Instagram is for this particular point because I think so many people will create these profiles on Instagram and they will create themselves as a brand and they'll kind of have this color scheme for a person and it feels almost so divorced from being a human being where we always change we're always in fluctuation and yet Instagram kind of forces us to be this one person it can stunt one's creativity to evolve I love it when creators and influencers actually inject moments of full authenticity mm. when they, you know, you see them all perfected and made up. And, you know, in the rea real life, if you saw them walking around Target, you know, they would not have any of that on, <laughs> you know, show me that. I'm good with you being glammed up. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But can I also see you when, you know, your zits are, are, are popping, you know, when they are on full display and just be real about it because people mm. will relate to that even more. You actually will be more yeah. loved in your authenticity because now you actually seem like a real person and not a character. Mm. 
If you're struggling to sleep and in need of something to help your restless nights, I have just the podcast for you. Sleepwave is a podcast from the creators of Sleepiest, a leading sleep and meditation app that has helped over 4 million people fall asleep. Every Monday, you can listen to a brand new transportive meditation, including reassuring sessions such as finding protection from anxiety, which might be just what you need to help you drift off. Listeners have reported unbelievable results from the very first night, and from personal experience, I can tell you I've never made it to the end of an episode. So if you want to wake up feeling rested, rejuvenated, and full of energy, Sleepwave is the best place to start. Available wherever you get your podcasts, and you can also listen free on the Sleepiest app. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. One thing that you address that can be a potential threat to people's rest is other people's emotions and how contagious they are. Why is that important to take into account and how contagious are emotions? Yeah, it's it's definitely important to take into account, especially depending on the people that you spend the most of your time with. If you're a counselor or therapist or someone in any type of setting like that, a teacher, someone who's around other people where you're having to help them process through their own emotional baggage, you're going to be affected by that. It's very hard to sit down at a clinic where maybe you're working with people who've had some type of sexual trafficking or sexual abuse in some way and not have feelings of kind of remorse and pain and all of that that they're experiencing because you're hearing stories that pull on your own emotions. And so we have a tendency to mirror the emotions of others when we're in that setting. And so you need to be aware of that. So if you're in this kind of hard and heavy type conversations and settings, to make sure that you're also spending some time around people who are positive and uplifting and and are life-giving and that are pouring back into you in that way. There's a tie in some way between emotional rest and social rest because they both deal with people. Emotional being the need to express yourself and, and be authentic and share and social being the people with which you're around when you do that. And so to be aware of the people in your life and kind of how they are either pulling or putting back into you so that you're not in situations where you're always on the pouring out side, where you're the one always having to give the comfort, always having to be Mm. the coach or whatever it is that you're the support for that person, that you have those moments when you're also on the receiving side. It's always a good life admin exercise to really think about who, who are those life givers in your life and also who are those I mean, life drainers sounds a bit mean, but being authentic and honest with yourself about that. And some people we can, I guess, have power to kind of spend more time or less time with. But what is your advice for those people living in environments that they can't particularly change? They are just having to see someone that really drains their energy, whether they like it or not. What would you suggest in those moments? Yeah, well, you know, if you think about it, most of the people we love most are the people who are draining us socially. (laughs) You know, our kids are always (laughs) needing something from us, our husbands, our coworkers, clients, you know, these are people, they always need something from us. And the people who need something from us will always be louder than the people who are pouring back into us, because they're demanding Mm. of our time. And so it's not that you necessarily, you know, want to get rid of the people who are draining energy from you, because, because they're part of your less part of kind of the (laughs) the give and take, but you do need to be aware that 
the relationship that you're is mostly a pulling relationship, which then means you need to evaluate, are there some adult friendships, relationships that I need to cultivate where it's doesn't have that dynamic? Because sometimes your kids can't be your life givers because they're kids. They're going to just drain, drain, drain. Mm. Your spouse should be able to do both. They sh- they're going to pull mm. from you. They need things from you. But they should also be able to be life-giving and affirmative and loving and supportive as well. Um, so that relationship can have more of some harmony. And then oftentimes, many adults do need to have adult friends or a therapist or counselor or someone in their life who is outside of that initial pulling circle, who is just pe- someone you'll enjoy being around. Someone that after you spent time in their presence, you leave their presence feeling uplifted. Because if all of your friends, you leave them feeling like they've pulled you down further, that's not the one I'm that I'm talking about. <laughs> it's the ones where you can go hang out and you can just have a good time and laugh and have some wine or whatever it is you're doing with each other. And you leave those moments feeling revived. I thought it was fascinating when you were sharing a story about a woman who went on holiday and returned from holiday feeling actually way more burnt out than they they did on arrival to the holiday. And I thought that was really interesting because you were so right in highlighting holidays can actually be very unrestful, even though they are in the sun, perhaps, even though they're by the beach, perhaps. What's your advice for actually having a restful holiday? And can you share some context to the anecdote I was pointing to? Yeah, so I think that's a lot of us. We go away. And whether you are going away, most of the time we say we're going away because we want to have time to rest. However, what we end up doing once we get to that place is we just do a lot of things. We do a lot of activities without taking into account is this really restorative for me? Is this the area where I've been depleted and I need to be poured back into? We just do the common things that you do at that location. We sightsee, we tour, we go to the beach, what you know, whatever it is, without being really intentional about restoring places of deficit. And so that is always my suggestion to, to identify if there's a place that you're depleted in, That's where the rest quiz came from at restquiz.com is that so many people were like, I'm tired, but I don't really know what I need. And so if you can identify which type of rest you're most efficient in, that way, when you're on vacation, you can spend some time actually doing restorative activities that pour back into that place. Whenever I go away, most of the time, if I'm going because I'm needing to be restored in some way, I need a, a bit of a retreat. Whenever I do that, Nine out of 10 times, the type of rest I'm needing is either creative or social. Because those are the things I, I use the most and get the least of. And so I tend to go to beautiful locations because for me, creative rest, I get a lot of it around bodies of water, around just beautiful locales. And so I try to pick some of the most beautiful places to go. And I don't overpack the vacation with activities. I spend a lot of time out in nature. And then the second part of that is social. I don't have a lot of time spent just hanging out with people without there having to be, Mm. we got a meeting, we got this, you know, we got all these things, we got to check off our to-do list. And so I tend to do it with, I get that social rest with my husband and my family. And so we'll go and spend time chatting about certain things and we'll go and we'll do an experience together something that we can, that's a great memory that we can then talk about what we experienced on that adventure, whatever it was. And so one of the things we did recently, we went to Hawaii as a family and we did an ATV ride through kind of like the inner jungles of of that area of Hawaii. And so it was amazing. We saw all of these great things and waterfalls and all this stuff. And so I was able to get the creative rest and then I'm doing it with my family so that You know, we're sitting down to dinner after the event and we're having all of this great conversation about what everybody experienced. And so I'm getting the best of both worlds. And I think we just have to have that bit of intentionality when we're planning. To go to a quiz, which is so clever to do a rest quiz, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But what are the most common answers? Because I think about 250,000 people have now gone through this quiz. And what type of rest is most commonly in deficit in people's lives, have you found in the research? The most common has consistently been mental. 
And I feel like that's because we use a lot of mental energy all day long with our electronics, with how we process and we're constantly processing information. So mental rest deficit tends to be consistently high. The other one I would say would be sensory. And that had a bit of fluctuation with the pandemic. Mental was always at the top of the list in general. It's not top for every person, but looking at all of the different ones, it was the one that was highlighted most. When the pandemic hit, everyone whose job wasn't online, job became online. So school was, you know, if your kids were going to school in person now, they were doing school online. So everything was being done electronically at a level that was significantly higher than some people had ever used their gadgets before. And so we saw a huge spike. And and for the first time, sensory overcame mental as being the highest level of deficit that was consistent. And that remained for about six months until things started really kind of getting back to some level of normal. Those two aren't very surprising just because of the amount of use that we we have on our gadgets and we're not really overly aware of how draining they can be. You know, we started hearing terms like Zoom fatigue, you know, during the pandemic, Mm. which basically is a rest deficit. It's a sensory rest Mm. deficit. Um, But we didn't really know what to call it. So we we just started kind of identifying these different ways that we realize this is draining. It's really interesting because this idea of rest and rest deficit is so subtle that you're right, we don't really have the appropriate language. And the language we do have, I think, almost simplifies it too much. It almost belittles it in some ways, minimizes it. And yet, actually, what you're talking about is really, really chronic. Like the the impacts of rest deficit is humongous. Yeah, and it's it is very subtle. That is the the problem with it. It's so subtle. And most of us are are at a level of resilience that we can push through it and keep functioning. Mm. That's where that term functional burnout comes from. We're able to, you know, the World Health Organization has some criteria that they use for burnout. First being you're tired all the time. The next being that you've lost the passion for the work that you do. And the last thing being that although you're working, you're doing it at a lesser ability, or you're not doing it at your highest level capacity. So the productivity is down, or the quality of the work's down. And so a lot of us are burnout, but we're functional, we're still getting the work done, we're still going every day, you know, we may only be producing at 80% of our of our ability, or sometimes way less than that. But hey, we get a paycheck at the end of the week. So we just keep going like that. And so we have to be aware of that. Because otherwise, I think what my fear is, is that if we're not aware of that, we just accept burnout as the norm. And I feel like we really are there to some degree, we accept being tired all the time as the norm. And we live for the weekends. However, the weekends, if we don't understand our rest deficits, don't really restore us. So we stay in this chronic cycle of just ongoing overwhelm and fatigue. Then we try to fix it with a, with a vacation or a holiday. And we go away for a week or take a two-week sabbatical trying to fix it. But all we do is we follow other people's rest paradigms. We, I'm going to go to the beach and I'm going to take a silent retreat. But that might not be what you need. That might have worked for someone whose rest deficit was a sensory rest overload. Your rest deficit may be you need to be around people. And so going to a silence retreat is only going to make you feel worse because you're not actually aligning with what you're needing. And so we have to become more self-aware of our own rest needs because otherwise we get into this trap of doing what other people say is restful, but it's not actually the rest we need. If someone listening is very much identifying with this, what would you advise the first question they ask themselves? Yeah, the first question I ask every person who I work with is what type of tired are you? Because if you can't answer that question, we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like a physician trying to treat a medical problem and you don't even know what direction to look in. You know, if someone came into my ER and said, hey, doc, I hurt, I wouldn't even know where to order an x-ray for. But that's what we do to ourselves. You say, hey, I'm tired. How do you even know where to begin? Mm -hmm. So we have to begin with identifying what kind of tired you are. And then focusing on that area first. Don't try to, you know, eat the whole elephant. Don't try to get all seven types of rest in one day. You know, start with the place of greatest deficit. 
As that area starts being revived and improved, you're going to feel more energized. And then you can look at if there's other places that need to be looked at and worked on. I don't believe we always need to approach rest in big chunks, like I need to take a huge time off or take these big breaks. I believe rest should be integrated within our day. So I believe in small changes that help us get restorative activities built into our day so that we're doing some small restorative processes just even in the middle of our workday. Would you mind sharing some ideas for small little rest practices that people can start incorporating? Yeah. So let's say you're working around a place where there's noise. If you're at home, the kids are, you know, buzzing around with the TV playing or whatever, or you're at your office where you hear phones ringing in the background or elevators going off. You may benefit, especially if you're noticing toward the middle or end of the day, you're getting very irritated or agitated. That's a sign of a sensory rest deficit. The side effect is you start feeling kind of irritable, but you don't really know why you're irritable. Well, your senses have been filtering all this stuff all day, and now they're exhausted. So simple reprieve might be having some noise cancellation earbuds or or even headset that you put on for just 30 minutes, just to give you complete silence for a couple of moments to get a reset. Another simple one, you're doing a lot of Zoom meetings, let's say with your team. And, you know, most Zoom calls, they have everybody's in their their own space. Somebody has a bed that's unmade behind them. Other person has a bookshelf you're looking at, you know, all these different visuals. Simplify that. Have a virtual screen that everybody on the team uses. It takes it back to what would be more natural if you were in the same room together. You're all looking at the same backdrop. So it decreases mm. the visual input so you don't have as much sensory input even within those Zoom meetings. And single, um, when you can pick whether you want to see all 10 people in the room or you want to see just the person speaking, just do the person speaking to even further decrease that sensory input so that you're not overwhelmed. Uh, another one might be if you're driving home and you find that you never have time for silence and, and quiet, drive home without the radio on, drive home you know, in silence just to give yourself a moment to clear your mind so that your mind's not overly processing as you're walking into your door. Uh, taking moments in the middle of the day to evaluate your your body and how is it feeling? Uh, do my shoulders hurt? Do my legs hurt? If you're feeling stiffness in your neck, rather than try to push through it till the end of the day, do some shoulder shrugs right there on the spot. You know, hop up during lunch, go outside and and see what's going on outside. You know, take a moment to look at the clouds or, or just whatever it is that inspires you, giving yourself moments during the day just to enjoy that. What are your thoughts on multitasking and why is multitasking a little bit of a threat to rest? Multitasking kind of gets us into this habit of jumping from things all the time. And as it relates to mental rest, it gets really tricky because we're telling our brain, I want you to be fully engaged with this and this and this and do well in all of them at the same time. And what happens is it feeds into a mental rest deficit because you're processing a lot of different things at one time and it prevents you from being able to concentrate and deep thought and deep thinking. And so for many of us, if we want to just improve our mental rest easily, a simple way to do that is to stop multitasking, focus attention. And and you can do this in blocks. I call it time blocking. So, you know, rather than be the person who checks their email all day long in between everything else they're doing. You're in the middle of typing up a report. Oh, I got an email. You go to the email, then you go back to the report. You're using more energy in the back and forth than if you just stayed with the report for 30 minutes, finished it up, and then have a block of time where you're going to spend an hour going through emails. You may have four blocks in a day where you're going through those emails. But rather than jumping back and forth, you can give all of your attention to one thing, Get that done during that time block or however much you can, and then move on to the next thing. And lastly, how can individuals who are dealing with grief or loss incorporate sacred rest into their healing process? Yeah, that's such an important question. I lost my dad at the beginning of 2022. And so I had to experience that for myself. And it was really interesting to see because I I don't think I realize how draining grief is. And so Mm. I think we have to be aware of that and to give ourselves permission 
to rest during times of grieving above and beyond our normal levels of rest that we would need. I have my rest routine pretty locked in at this point. I kind of know what I need. I can identify what I, when I'm d- deficient. So I was really surprised to see how much additional rest I needed. And sometimes it was physical and sometimes it was emotional and sometimes it was spiritual and sometimes it was creative. There, there was no rhyme or reason to kind of the specifics of what type of rest I needed more of. It felt like whatever deficit I was draining in my normal life got drained more. So it wasn't like grieving just drained emotional rest. Grieving drained me as a whole, Mm. all parts of me. So all seven kind of entered in at a lower level than they normally would. So when I do anything that then drained it even more, I felt it even on, on a more intense level. So I think we just really need to be aware of that. I think that's really helpful, actually, when it comes to thinking about how we are supporting those grieving too, when we all understand how draining grief is, it actually helps us to be better support networks to those who are. And if you can think back, and I'm so sorry to hear about your father, who was able to give you the greatest support at that time? Or was there anything that someone supported you in that was surprisingly more helpful than you could ever have imagined? I would say my husband probably was the greatest support because oftentimes people would, would, and I know they were just being nice, would say, how can we support you? How can we help you? (laughs) You know, people were trying to offer support. My husband just held me. He didn't ask me questions. Mm. He didn't try to make it right. He didn't try to figure out how to cheer me up. He would just let me just be. And if that being was crying, fine. If that being was laughing at a movie, fine. If that being was eating chocolate till I vomited, fine. He didn't care what it looked like. (laughs) He was just like, whatever you need to do, I'm here for you. And I think that was the greatest support. And I had girlfriends as well who did similar things. It's like, you know, we're just going to be here. You know, it's like, I'm okay with being in the space when you're not your normal self. And I think that Mm. was what was so powerful. People who were like, I I truly felt that emotional rest. It's like, we know this is not typically how you are, but we're okay with with this version of you as well. That's so lovely to hear. To finish, is there a piece of music that you often return to and which piece is it and why? There's a song called Rise Up by Andre Day. And I just love the song. I love the lyrics to the song. I love everything about it um, because it talks about kind of rising above difficulty and challenge and staying in a place where you are being elevated and you are hopeful. And I feel like that's where we all have to maintain at some point in time, whether you're battling through grief, whether you're battling through burnout or or relationship issues or whatever it is that you may have to overcome, that at some level, there's a rising up in our spirit that has to happen and in, in our mindset and in our approach so that we do go into it in, with a can-do, can-overcome attitude. Well, thank you so much for your time. We'll put a link to your book in the show notes as well as the rest quiz so everybody can find out their areas of deficit and steps towards filling those up dr sandra you're phenomenal you are truly the goddess of rest and i'm so grateful to have had you on the show thank you so much it's been a pleasure chatting with you thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed today please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much i'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so my mental health book happy not perfect is available to order now the book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker a skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way helps you manage emotions and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself Until next time, I love hearing from you. So do shoot me a message on Instagram. Send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.